We want better schools. We want them now. Stand in our way, and you'll catch these eight black hands with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecky, and Stewart. Join us now for an hour or more of talk on education and culture. Fellas, what's going on? Not much, bro. How you doing? No, man. Good to see y'all. Good to see y'all as usual. That's Uh, what's up, man. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful spring day out here on the East Coast. Not sure how it was in in Chi-Town. Is that where you are today? I don't know where you are. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in Chicago. It's uh, it's, it was nice. It was really nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was really nice. Ankrum was busy on uh, on the on the Twitter and the tweets this week. You know, he letting us know Long Island is in two parts. What part he in? What part the the other side is in? So, what's up, Ankrum? How's everything? Man, going well, bro. Thanks for checking in, man. How you doing? Good, good, good. Saw your your uh your Panther hoodie. Yeah. With, the, with, the, with the gold in it I was like alright that's what's up that's what's up yeah. no, but good to see y'all man and we're sure uh, Stuart will be with us uh, shortly but look you know I've been really excited all week for our guest he, he, he right here he's right, right here there? with all a right, great well, colorful shirt on I got him let's bring him on <laughs> there you go <laughs> hey what's up bro what's happening people how you feel you know I'm black <laughs> you black and loud today, brother. What is that brother brought out the title? I love it. I see it, B. He he's been talking about Hawaii shirts for a minute now. So hey, I think he just that's him. Listen, listen, you know what? I was listening to some Frankie Beverly and Maze today. <laughs> you felt good. And I was is like, that what it psychedelic feelings in the air. I was like, where is my where's my weekend people? What's well, I want to just think, so. I want to just say this. Uh, we see that we got the the TYT set today. We got the Young Turks set today. This ain't usually where you at. This usually when he on big TV. This the this the set he normally at, brother. I like it. I see it. We you know I got to mix it up. up a little bit. You know, yeah, it's all good. Well, congrats on that. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. That was fun. <laughs> My girl was yawning before the thing. I was like, "Oh, yeah. <laughs> am I on like the am I on like the ghetto set here? What's happening?" Hey. I still haven't got to sink yet. Mm. <laughs> what was the O for Ray? <laughs> well, I said, "Whoa, like whoa, what's happening here?" <laughs> I don't know. I don't be knowing what be going on, Chris. When he nah, he, he was on. He was. I don't know if you saw. He was on Young Turks, and he was saying before he got on, they was yawning because they was like, "Who is this guest? <laughs> Who is this cat? What are you talking about? Sure. Education? We talking about education today? Huh? Okay." <laughs> you know, it's uh, it turned out well though. I was happy about it. Mm. That's All right, gonna have to check that out. Yo, put that put that link in the join for folks to uh, you know to check out later. But listen, tonight really excited about you know our guest, you know, uh, a Philly girl got her PhD, got her PhD. She's she's uh not only all of that, but we finally know. Uh, Anchor, I don't know if you were on, but we we're going through the history of the the PhD students with with the grill. And all this time, I thought, I thought, you know, Dr. Cole was the first, but it turns out. Oh, come on. It Stop. turns out that he he, he he took the learning from someone else. Stop. And Wait. we have. And He's we saying have that he was the first? Wait, he's I saying never, that he was the first? I never said I was the first ever. Oh, I hope you never said that. I All never right. said I was the first. I was the first at San Francisco State to walk across uh, as a doctor. But go, just go ahead because he is. 
killing this young lady's bio. He has lied already. <laughs> All right, look, let, let, me, let me. We're about to bring her on, but I'm really excited to have uh, Sister Dr. Jamila Dugan um, on the show tonight. Uh, Dr. Dugan is an author, leadership coach, and a researcher. She's also a co-author with Shane Safir of a new book out, Street Data, a new generation model for equity, pedagogy, and school transformation, which focuses on culturally rich education environments and anti-racist, there's that word again, there's that mindset, there's that theme, Mm -hmm. anti-racist approaches to reimagine learning. Mm -hmm. Dr. Dugan began her career as a teacher in Washington, D.C. She holds a PhD in educational leadership for equity from the University of California, Berkeley, master's degree in curriculum and instruction from George Mason University, a bachelor's degree in psychology from Fresno State University. She did a lot of uh, stuff on the West Coast to be in Philly. You know what I mean? Oh, there it is. You know what I mean? She lives in Philly with a partner and two children. And she is the originator of the grill crossing the stage. Let's bring on Dr. Dugan. Ray, I understand more every day, bro. More and more every day. It's good to see you, Dr. Dugan. Hello, hello. I should have went upstairs and got my grill. That's what I should have did. See, exactly, exactly. I, I, I said, but uh, where are you from again, Dr. Dugan? Where? Just because did I make a mistake on the uh, intro? You want to come home? Where you from? <laughs> see, and you're already starting stuff. I'm, I have to always clarify. I'm from Oakland, California, but I love. Really. Listen, I'm, I'm old school hip hop. I remember and this this doesn't carry over all the time, but I remember it was it was some lyrics like it ain't where you're from. It's where you it's where you so you can't even remember it. That's where it was you, East Coast. That was some East Coast stuff right I, there. I think yeah, it said go. where you at. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, in, yeah. I think that's what it, how it ended. Mm-hmm. I, I think it was a long time ago, though. Mm-hmm. Where you from? Y'all know Rakim. Y'all, y'all know the deal. Every day, every day, I go close to the Lord and Ray. I go close to the Lord and Ray every single day. <laughs> what is it happening right now? We about to jump in. We about to jump. In. That's what's happening. <laughs> Look, we had a meeting before the show and it was just very enlightening and so we just had a really good time and it didn't feel right not to bring some of that energy into the you know into the show now but it, you know it's all good but you know dr dugan we're you know we're really excited to have you on on board you've been uh you've been writing sis you know you, you got that phd you're pulling from your um, instructional background your psychology background and you've been like really pouring in and and really setting a banner for folks to to rally around and so mm-hmm. you know what we want to start off with just having the audience get to know you a little bit more um so please share what's not in your bio what led you to become an educator what you know and why did you choose to uh you know really look at anti-racism as a a way forward a path forward to improve student outcomes starting with meaty stuff yeah yeah let's jump in Um, uh, first just thank you all for having me here today I'm really excited to have a conversation with you all so thank you for bringing me on the show um yeah what's not in my bio why education anti-racism moving forward all that I mean (laughs) it's a lot in there um I think the first thing that's not in my bio is a clarification on where I'm from which is East Oakland California (laughs) um but uh 
I right, think it's not for a commercial break, but no, go ahead. <laughs> uh, I just think it's important to say. I think it's no, important I listen, to say. Absolutely. <laughs> Oakland is our sister city of Philly. So I, I got nothing but love for Oakland. I like giving Dr. <laughs> yes, and y'all had um Chairman Fred Hampton Jr. talking about uh the sister city there with Oakland. But in all honesty, I think that's a lot of where my journey begins and why I do the work that I do. Mm-hmm. Um I am a product of East Oakland, and that is a place that is close to my heart and a place that I will always uh, love despite all the gentrification. But um, I started out in East Oakland, to be quite honest with you all. And I think I had a probably pretty good experience growing up, maybe elementary, middle school. By the time I got to high school, though, it just it just wasn't working. Um, it wasn't working and I failed out. Um, and I failed out for a lot of different reasons. There was a lot of things going on. But I think over time, I realized that my experience, even when I failed out, was very different than my friend's experience in the schools that I went to. Mm-hmm. And it was really when my dad sent me to an Afrocentric school, African, um, African Children Advanced Learning Center, very small school after I failed out, where I found myself. Um, I had uh, history classes there called Our Story, and I learned so much about um, Black people and Black love and and taking care of each other. I feel like I had a really, really high bar at that place. Um, So I think at that point, I knew I wanted to do something with kids. I didn't really know exactly what that would be. Um, But in college, I ran across a poster for teaching and I decided to get into and I fell in love with kindergarten students in Washington, D.C. And in that classroom with those uh, all black faces, um, I fell in love with the genius, the innate genius in children. And it was severely depressing to me to see how many people don't believe in the innate genius of black children. Mm-hmm. I got to watch firsthand how much they can grow, for, even from coming from a place where we're, you know, having a hard time in the classroom over time when we really believe in students. I got to see that firsthand. And then I got to see my school became an international baccalaureate school while I was there. So I got to see the power of project based learning. I got to see the power of these programs that people say black children can't have access to. And I got to see those programs work well under black leadership mm-hmm. with black teachers. So I think that was really powerful for me. And, and from there, um, I became a school leader, started coaching folks, um, and then started doing what I do now, which is run Philly Plus, a principal preparation program. Um, so that's how I got to where I am now. Um, and what's not in my bio is, again, I think I said I was straight from East Oakland. I just want to say that once again. <laughs> um, uh, and then um, what did that mean for just the anti-racist uh, approach? I just don't see how we could do it without it. That's the end. Like, how can we do it without it? I am all about instruction. Like pedagogy is everything. But if you're not going to put an anti-racism lens on it, like period, like we just can't do it. So I I think as we'll go along, I think we'll get into it more. But I just have not seen anyone be successful with black children in a way that's uh, caring for them in a real way that doesn't have that perspective in that lens. So it's a little bit about Mm. Yeah, anchor. Oh, go ahead. This Kendi shit is about to get us canceled, man. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. Listen, I I want you to follow up because you just did another piece. Like anchor been on this war path um, about you know the folks who are anti anti racist racist teaching. What's funny is you know what's funny is anchor was becoming a race man. I mean, Mm -hmm. not that long ago, he was out here like protecting Karens. And you know, like, like voting, voting for tax cuts. He, I think and, he did, you know all kinds of stuff. You know, against us on that. I here was protecting, protecting a Karen. Oh, he, yeah, he was out. He was out here defending the Karens, voting for tax cuts, uh, trying to <laughs> hey, trying hey, to hey, get hey, Amazon hey, stocks hey, to go hey. up. 
this is Republican Ill. Ray, but he's he's more complex and nuanced. He is than, more than complex than the and nuanced. Yeah, the the on my name, man. My name is my name. My name is my name, man. Now, what's this? The Wire now? Yo, why don't you talk about the... You just wrote another piece about addressing this idea of anti-racism. Dr. Dugan kind of led us in, so we'd love to... You know, they heard about the other pieces last week that we spoke about. We'd love to hear, you know, this new piece that you just dropped on the on the people. Yeah, so, man, real quick, these think tanks, man, yo, they are coming like crazy. And I think Chris talked about it on his unpublished show and when we were together. I mean... Left and right, these folks are conflating terms or whatever. Like you hear them, and like you know, all of a sudden, it's the the target or the red meat um, is critical race theory, and like these folks don't even know what it is. Like if you if you have a conversation with them, the majority of them can't even define what that term is, right? And so they're conflating critical race theory with uh, culturally relevant teaching, both are appropriate uh, for all kids, right? But I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's a hot button topic now. Um, but like, what, why, why, why wasn't it like how they approach or how they teach our kids hot button topics, right? Like, why is it all of a sudden a hot button because their kids are being made to feel uncomfortable? Shit, we've been uncomfortable forever, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, th- I, th- I think we have to empower our, our parents. We have to empower black folks to speak out. Again. Like, like, so for me, my whole new thing is I'm going to be Mr. Counter Narrative. So every time they put some shit out about white kids feeling uncomfortable, I'm going to put something out about black kids feeling uncomfortable. I feel like it's just for us to be able to do that. Right. You're going to be a busy man. I know. <laughs> unfortunately, right? Quit your job. Quit but, your job because um, you you will need some time. I know, right? <laughs> but um, I feel like it's appropriate because you know it, we're not being heard right now, right? And so I think it's a good time for us to meet in the middle to have conversations about what can work and what doesn't work, so that it works for all kids and not just for white kids. Yeah, and but I mean. Are, are all these white kids feeling uncomfortable? You know, like I've heard from, you know, I read a piece about some white principals who said, you know what, their white students wrote back alumni and say, you know what, you didn't teach us well. You didn't teach us about some of these issues. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to learn. We actually want to know about this. We believe in this and you didn't teach us of this. Right. And so then, you know. Yeah. And so I'll pause there. Um I mean, you you can't get mad if you're not matching their energy. These people are showing up to school board meetings, laughing, yelling, crying, screaming, organized, multiple 10, 15 deep with each other, talking about their white babies are about to get like lessons that are going to make them feel uncomfortable or whatnot. That's what a savage people are supposed to do when you mess with their children. You know what we're doing? We're sitting on a podcast right now talking about why can't what you know, what, what what's our end? You know, what's our angle? Blah, blah, blah. You know, whatever, whatever. You know what? Match energy. That's what you can do. You can That's match. Energy, but you know what? Why aren't we? Why aren't we matching? Why? Why don't we have black moms and dads rolling up on school boards saying you're going to teach us some Afrocentric shit today, and or, I, else, I, or else we're going to get you out of this room? But this is why I think it is. I'm just going to say this, and then because because our guest here mentioned two <laughs> urban places uh, mm-hmm. where she has she has done work. Our 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 black children exist in different types of settings. 
Right. So it's easier in an all black school district or mostly black school district to have some power over what gets taught and how it gets taught. Yes, sir. It's in some of these more mixed districts uh, and realize 50 percent of black children now are in suburban districts. This is right. Right. 50 percent. That's a A lot. lot. That's That's a a lot. lot. And they're having a different experience in those schools than you will have in a school district where you have a black superintendent and they're all, you know, most of the students are black because, you know, white parents start rolling up on those school boards talking about we don't want our kids to learn. This It's not going to go very far. Right. It is going to go far in some of these mixed districts, though, and some of these other places where black students exist and there are no culturally competent uh, black principals. There are no uh, culturally competent. They might have one black school board member and that's, that black school board member is a Negro Pian, right? Siding with the other oh, people. Oh, my God. Right, <laughs> right, right. So I'm just going to say it. Anyways, go ahead. Roll on, Jordan. You know, t- <laughs> well, Dr. Duggan, you were about to pop in there. Go, go ahead. <laughs> Well, I think I mean, I think I just got caught with the, you know, black parents rolling up on school boards. I, I, I've seen black parents roll up on school boards many of t- many of times. Um, so I think we have been screaming for a very long time in a whole bunch of different spaces. Um, I think, you know, sometimes it's about being heard, but sometimes it's pe- what people choose to do what with what they heard. Um, and I think a lot of times, you know, mm-hmm. things get whitewashed inevitably, which is why I think the conversation around anti-racism is so important. And I will say, I mean, I understand what you're saying in terms of different uh, contexts. I was a school leader at a Mandarin immersion school um, mm-hmm. where black children, yeah. very, very small percentage, eight mm-hmm. percent um, of our students were black at that school. And I, I think that, you know, you either have to have black people who love black children in the space or folks who have an anti-racist lens in the space for that type of thing to work. But I mean, when people feel like power, like they're going to lose power, like they're going to lose a thing, they don't want to deal with it. Um, So I feel like it's more of a typical, it's a very sad, sad, sad response, but it feels pretty, pretty traditional to this country. Well, Dr. Dugan, can I ask you a question? Because you, because you lived in the Bay Area. What do you think about a school district like San Francisco that has now now all the black people are going only has seven percent black kids now, but considers itself to be like the capital of progressive politics, anti-racism, you know, getting it right in so many of the left wing ways. But the, the black students in that district are suffering. Right. Like seven percent. First of all, that was shocking to me when I first heard that, because I, I in my mind, as old as I am, I remember like San Francisco being much blacker than that. Right. So I'm thinking, damn, you only got seven percent left and you can't educate that seven percent. Oakland on the way. Mm. Oakland got way more than that. Right. On the way, bro. Yeah, we got, we're going down, 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 down. We were the majority when we were students. Mm-hmm. And, and now we are more than double uh, by Latino folks. Um, so we're, we're dropping. Damn. Yeah. I'm only raising a question about like those would be districts where they would tell you they they had all the training. They went through all the like, you know, courageous conversations. They've done all the like, you know, anti-racist did that, this, that and the other. And you still have uh, black children in those districts who are not being treated very well. Yeah. But then wouldn't we I mean, if I pause for a second, I'm like, 
I, it's harder for me to find places where black children are are being treated properly um, than it is for me to find, you know, uh, for me to say that there's a place where folks say they have it. I feel like San Francisco is a very interesting place. I actually work with several school leaders out in San Francisco. And I have to say, like, one of my principals in San Francisco is killing it. And she is a white woman with an anti-racist lens who does have issues in terms of how her black students have been treated in the school, mm. but is working triple time to try to address that with her staff. I'm um, try to address it internally, try to dr- address it in lots of different ways. But I think like when people say they have it, like what does have it mean? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know who has it, even in schools where I've worked and been a, a great leader. I worked with, you know, folks who are great leaders, the team that I have now, there's many, many things that we do well, but this is a journey. It's like a long journey. I don't know if I see a whole bunch of people who have it right. I think it's going to take take some take some time. Yeah, definitely agree. It's a mm-hmm. continuum. You never arrive. And once you think you arrive, that's when the arrogance and, and stuff falls, uh, steps in. Cole, you were writing something specifically to students about some of this issue. Um, can you well, talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I was writing more to the community, right? Community, to, uh, okay. And I mean, students can read it, but it was basically, y'all know how I am about this stuff. And, and Jamila knows me probably the best on the panel. Like she, we know each other, right? And my thing is, let's keep pushing on policy. Let's keep getting the right pedagogies. Let's keep doing all that. And again, these are racist systems that have never served our kids well in mass. I don't expect it to happen. I don't expect it to definitely happen tomorrow. So what I was just writing was, look, here's this topic that people are talking about. Because when we talk about CRT, critical race theory, my barbershop don't know what y'all talking about. Like, it's just not the, the lady next door to me don't have no idea. She just want to make sure her grandkids is educated, the people in my neighborhood. So it was basically that this is the concept. We didn't even define it here for people that's watching. The general idea is that race is everywhere. It's in the air. It's the fog. And what happens is there's there are, there's curriculum where that stuff creeps in or whatever, right? So black kids constantly learn that Christopher Columbus discovered America. If you are, if you a brown kid in California, that might be hard for you to hear because your people used to own this place and now they don't. So what I was what I was saying to the community first, I was defining it because. And people in everyday life who don't work in this field are like, I don't know what that is. They don't know none of these people. But the other thing was just giving them tips for what they can do if they school don't change. And the first thing I was telling parents is you got to talk to your kids. Mm -hmm. What is happening at my school? Like, tell me how your day went. Tell me what you learned today. And you got to be ready with a counter narrative all the time. You cannot expect your enemy to educate and liberate the mind of your child because that is the way education works. People keep trying to talk about America like we are a straight up democracy. No, no. We are an empire. And let me tell you what empires do. We go in, we we become the empire and we take everybody's kids and we teach you to love the emperor. That's why you get these stories, these myths. This myth, Pocahontas is a mythological story. The real story of Pocahontas is a wild ass story with a 14 year old girl. Like, so, so when, so when we're talking about this, I think the work that the Sharifs and and Dr. Dugans of the world are doing, I think it's, I think it's incredible. And I think you need to come around and envelope kids. What is your history? What is the story of this place? You know, people talk about Kentucky a lot. And that's where I spent time with my grandmother. The one thing this but people are always like, why is people from Kentucky so proud? When I was in the second grade, they take you on field trips 
to the sites of the of the of the Civil War. And they teach you the lesson there in the first grade and the second grade. You know what I'm saying? That's why them white folks be like, you're not taking this from me. And you have to start teach you how to lose. No, no, no. Brother, Kentucky was the last state to come in for the union that that flipped the Civil War to the union side, brother. But see, you know why I know that? Because they sat my ass on the grassy knoll every year. Grassy knoll. And they talked about it. You and know? indoctrinated your ass. Well, I mean, but, but 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 actually, these were black people. So this is the difference. Wait, 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 wait. Let me tell you what it was. Yeah. We went to battle sites, but we had yeah. black people that was saying the Underground Railroad ran through here. This is where mm-hmm. these things happen. Here are black people from this place that decide to come and fight and push for the union or whatever the case is. See, I had black teachers that were telling me that stuff. I don't know what the white kids across were getting because we were very segregated. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. what I'm saying is I'll never lose that part of me. You know what I'm saying? And so, um, but I, again, because I think people think that I'm pushing against policy change and stuff like that. I'm not. I think it's very, very important. But I think you need agentic movements. You need agentic lessons so young people know who they are and know how to feel and, and know how to and know how they should be being treated. Hmm. You know, you, you talk about these young people and what they're learning. Um, Dr. Dugan, you wrote a piece for uh, Education Post that talked about, you know, um, that was really highlighting this whole notion that it's the kids fault, you know, the kids are this, the kids are that, you know, uh, Stuart talks about they're being awfulized a lot. Mm-hmm. You wrote a piece pushing back on that mm-hmm. and saying it's not the kids, it's the system. Can you talk mm-hmm. about that for the audience? Um, yeah, so I think when I was writing that piece, uh, I was observing a couple of different things at the same time. First was my own children and their experience through COVID um, and my son who had done really well in school, who was suddenly failing um, mm-hmm. and, and really looking at how he was talked to about that. Just thinking about my experience growing up um, and how I was doing well and then suddenly went to failing. Um, and then I was thinking about just some folks that I had grown up with and kind of reflecting back on what our lives were like um, when we were growing up. And um, I've heard so many people put names upon like vulnerable, you know, like mm. uh, disimprint, like they put we names love labels upon us. For, for the kids. Yeah. Right? Like there's all these things that problematize children. And I was like for, thinking for a second, like, no. No, no, they are not the issue. My son is just fine. This is not working for him. When I was in school, you know, I how could a child like me be doing well? And then all of a sudden I'm failing and you're talking to me about what's wrong with me. Why didn't you look at the two years before and what I was doing then and how we see me steadily declining? That that should tell you something about my particular experience. And then as I'm in schools all the time, I was just talking to somebody earlier about a second grade little boy. And I was I was coaching one of my school leaders and the little boy was like, you haven't did it. And they're like telling him, stop cursing, stop cursing. I said to my school leader, stop, observe the situation. The boy is saying, you don't effing give a care about me. Listen to what he is saying. You all are on this F, you know, the fact that he's cursing, but you're not paying attention to what he is saying. You are not centering him at all. You're not centering his experience. If you listen to him, you might have a little bit a, a better understanding of why he's acting the way he does um, or is acting the way he is right now. He is upset. He feels offended by you. But uh, somehow in schools, 
we are consistently with black children in particular, something is wrong with them. They come into it's our, they, as, as soon as they get into the space, there's a problem right away. And I, mm-hmm. I've just, you know, I've noticed this over and over. So in the piece, I was specifically trying to outline how I was seen over time in school and then to ask us to try to widen our lens. Cause what's happening right now is that we are consistently inundated with negative images of black people everywhere. Even as we think about Black Lives Matter, right? That's a that's a powerful movement in the aggregate, but all every time somebody counters that movement, everybody every time somebody shows someone looting and talks about that, every time we see a news article, every time shows the way we're depicted in so many different places mm. says that black people are a problem. And so we have to figure out ways to widen our lens. And that's a big part of um, what Shane and I wrote about in the book. Shane started this um, idea of street data in her last book, Listening Leader. And it's really all about forgetting all these big numbers and forgetting all this rhetoric about children. And let's look at what they are saying. What is their actual experience? What's their family's experience? Mm -hmm. And in that piece, I was trying to just argue we need to do that. And as much as I am so angry many of times about what my experience was, and especially my son's experience right now, I have to approach this work with love and I have to center people and I have to center black children and my love for them. Um, in this work that I do. And if, if we don't do that, if we don't rely on elders who have loved Black children, if we don't rely on ancestors who've loved on Black children, we're not going to be able to help anyone else see what they can see. Because I, I agree with Dr. Cole in that, you know, I don't know how far people can go, but I believe if we center love and we center uh, righteous love, I guess I would say that you know, there's more of a likelihood that black children can be treated appropriately. But I mean, at the end of the day, I think we got to do our own thing. But that's another story. I was going to. Yeah, let's just yeah, superintend it. Yeah, let's just That's the yeah, same story. We, yeah, we'll get back to that because that's <laughs> yeah. an important piece. Wait, I don't no, know no, if you no, can I teach got, that. I got a question for Chris. Oh, stop. So, Chris, yeah. uh, your kid, you get a call. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Stewart, yeah. uh, your, uh, your, your daughter, your daughter used the f bomb. I knew he was gonna say that. Whatever. <laughs> well, you ain't, your, your response ain't gonna, ain't gonna be the same as, as as what we just heard. I know that. You, what do you mean? It's not gonna be the same. He's saying what, that you want to focus on the, the what, f bomb or, or why the child was upset. <laughs> oh, you mean I'm not gonna do the loving thing and be like, you know, well, let's hear what you're actually trying to say as you say the <laughs> f bomb. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> um, Which I, I, I wouldn't. Even, I didn't even mean it like that. But go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Uh, nah, um, I don't think my kids would do that. So uh, you know, that's not a problem for me. He sound um, like a parent. No, he sound like a parent. That's not. I mean, kid. I am a parent. I'm a I'm three, never, I'm, I'm three <laughs> decades. Three decades into parenting, I'm I'm deeper on parenting than a lot of people are. I'm going to my fourth decade of parenting right now. So, um, so I know a thing or two. Um, and even if it did happen, I'm not the type of person to freak. I don't freak out at every little thing mm. like that kids do. Like like I, I actually have always thought that the more you freak out, the more you're encouraged. More times that you'll have to freak out. The more you yell, the more you'll have to encounter times that you actually yell. Like that. If that becomes your pattern. Mm. So those patterns are, are just like that. But if the school calls me to say, I'm going to probably, especially if it's my daughter, because my daughter's my baby. So I'm going to be asking like, well, what'd y'all do? <laughs> what'd y'all do that she's using the F-bomb? Because something's obviously wrong with your school. It's not wrong with my with my baby. No, no, no. I'm one of them parents, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, my baby don't hurt nobody. Um, 
Anyways, uh, go ahead, Ray. What you were, what, what yeah, were you so, going to say? I about mean, that you know, it's an important conversation to have in terms of like the why, in terms of uh, why kids behave or why they show up the way that they show up. And I think that you know when you're in schools that are predominantly uh, predominantly white females, they're not going to ask those questions as to like why this black kid is be- why this black kid is behaving the way that they're behaving. They're going to make assumptions. And then the next thing you know is going to be, all right, well, you know, this kid is defiant. And so then now it becomes these labels that are being associated, like kind of like what Dr. Dugan was saying. And then um, the next thing you know, for the boys, at least they're going to be referred to special education. So they don't have somebody like me there in order to protect them to be like, nah, ain't nothing wrong with this kid. It's something wrong with you. Right. But then when you when you take those stances and you're like, very protecting over uh, black and brown kids, you also got to have a parent body that's protecting of you, right? Because if not, you're anti-teacher. <laughs> bro, you're anti-teacher and like, yo, listen, the way that these folks show up, the board meetings, man, like if you don't have a counter narrative in terms of like parents showing up to say, you know what? I don't care about what y'all saying. My kids are learning. This school is 90% black and brown. We need to have leaders that look like our kids. If you don't have parents that are willing to come and fight for you, then it makes it very hard for you to fight for kids unless you go into these jobs like, hey, listen, I don't, I'm not doing this to protect myself. I'm doing this to protect kids. So if I get fired, it's cool because yeah. I can find somewhere else to go and do the things that I need to do in order to, to be that, that beacon of hope for kids. So that's how I hope folks are approaching the work. I know that people are not. I know that people go get into these positions and they're very protecting over their salaries, they're very protecting over their lifestyles and they're really not doing the work that it requires in order to free our kids. We need our own schools, man. Cole, jump in here, man. We need our own schools. You know, I love how you said the work too. Uh, I, every, every, every week you say the work, work more and more. Yeah. I love it. Work. You, Go ahead, Cole. You know how I feel about needing our own schools. I feel like, yo, we will use whatever system we need to. I prefer it to be private schools so we can do whatever we need to and do what we want. You know, when, when Jamil and I work together, man, I think, you know, my background was in social work. So, like, even when I was working with the teachers that I was coaching, like, I always did it from that social work kind of lens, right? Like, where is exactly what she was talking about? When you ask questions, you assess. It's called the ABCs. What was the antecedent? What was the behavior? And what was the consequence? How did that happen? It's a very simple concept, right? And we had some really good success around that. I agree 1000% with you, Ankram. And I think that you was actually helping make my point, right, around making sure your parents and your students have the right language. So, and Jamoke is in a, in a comment. She can, she can comment on this. You, when, when I coach principals, I train them. This is how you train, get you a group of parents that is your people and make sure they know the language. Hey, so there were, there were parents that were coached specifically by principals. That's like, this is the question that you need to ask. If you ask me this type of question, that question triggers a, a, a set of events that's out of my control now. You know what I'm saying? Like we got to be smarter than this stuff. And again, when, 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 I, when we worked together, me and Tracy, a, a, a colleague of mine who was my supervisor, we went to every school board meeting. It was just part mm-hmm. of our job. Black parents were there. And you know what happened when those black parents started to get up and talk that stuff? People, this is when when school board members would get up and go get coffee. They would go get something to drink. During they the media? Yes, right? When they testifying. When they testifying. And so what you got to do, man, is this is what I'm this is what I'm saying, yo. You have to make sure you're... 
look, the last part of that video, and I think the video is going to be good because Ray said it was good, damn it, so it's getting put out soon. There it is. The last part of that video is when you train your kids to have a radar of when things don't sound right and you teach them to ask critical questions, you get answers, whether people answer or not. And you as a parent have to take that information and you got to be ready well, hey, well, this is what my kid said. I, I done trained my kid. Every time something weird to ha- weird happened, he jotted down his notebook. And I read that notebook. You know what I'm saying? And then that's how you go to those school boards. That's how you do that stuff. And so there are just th- p- parents. Listen, certain principals have their hands tied behind their back. They can't just fire a teacher they, just because they don't like them. They can't fire a teacher if they fell in kids. They can't just take this type of action or whatever, right? But if you ask certain things, if you actually raise things with the ombudsman person, like there's a process to this stuff. And this is what I'm talking about when we raise the consciousness level. And, and this is, let me just be also be very clear so we can give it back to Dr. Dugan. None of what I'm saying is fair. <laughs> None of what I'm saying should be the norm. None of what I'm saying should have to be what happened. But if we're talking about your baby, Chris's baby, Sharice's baby, Ray's baby, and Dr. Dugan's baby, you want to know all you can do, everything that needs to happen to protect your child. When I was in fifth grade at Lafayette Elementary, they said I was a drug dealer in training. I was a gay kid. You know what I'm saying? So, like, that's all I'm saying, man. That's what I mean when I'm talking about that. You know what I'm saying? And, like, they will go back in that teacher's lounge. And, listen, some people might love your kids, man. They might be great. But we're not interrogating a person. We're interrogating a system. We're interrogating a whole system. Yeah. Dr. Dugan, you you, you mentioned, uh, you know, these independent schools, independent black schools doing our own. Talk a little bit about that because then I want to kind of get into the title of the show Mm -hmm. and why that, you know, that school leadership is a significant part of all of this. Yeah, it's on my mind. So crazy right now. Um, Heavy right now. Um, Black schools. My my brother goes to one right now. My little brother, he's 11 years old. So I went, I think I told you all the schools called ACAL. I went to and my brother goes to a school called L.A. Omade in Oakland, California. Oh, my God. I love L.A. Omade. Don't you love L.A. Omade? Oh, my God. I love Uh this school. My brother goes there. Um, Wow. But. I, it's a couple of things I remember yeah. from going to ACAL that I do not see how I could get it from anywhere else in a way that's authentic. The first was history. It was called Our Story. Like I were, I learned COINTELPRO in school. Like that was a very, very normal thing. Like the black, <laughs> it was like an essential thing, but no one was like, this is an essential thing. We're going to make sure you understand the standard. It was like, you need to understand the context of Oakland. You need to understand the context of black people. We understood not, not just Dr. Martin Luther King, but his father and COINTELPRO involved with him in that way. We learned about a. T- we learned the way, like the the structure of the Constitution and who was a part. All these different things. I, I I don't see how anyone could have given that to me, but the two babas I had who taught that class. I, I just shout out I, to the babas of the world, right? I had Baba Scotty, yeah. Baba Woods, who taught those two classes, and I don't think I would have gotten that anywhere else. The second thing, which I do believe people can have high expectations for Black children, but they tend to. I don't know what I would even call it. It, it. it becomes some sort of technical tool to try to control children. But at that school, high expectations look like I'm not gonna, I don't know how to do math. And Babu Stadi putting the book right in front of me again. I can't do this, putting it right back in front of me again. There was no whole conversation, no loud, no anything. Every time I thought I couldn't do something, he just put the book right back in front of me. And I guess I wasn't going anywhere. 
Like that, that was it. They expected for me to do well. And then finally we bought, which I think, again, I, I think we could get it in other places, but in an authentic way that really meets me where I was at Baba Tabiti. We started a business at school. He took us, was talking to us about his black experience and how he thought wealth was so important for us and talked to me about gems and things like that. And then took me, to smart and final to get our little snacks and all of that to start our business. But those things were so authentic and it did, it didn't feel like, let me show you this thing, black child. (laughs) It felt more like this is how we take care of our black children. And I would take it five levels higher at LA Omaday. Now my little brother, just blackness is so normalized. Like, Black beauty, black excellence, black history, all of it is normalized. He says a, 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 a greeting when we see him that is based in um, uh, an African dialect, which I, I will butcher, but he says something to us right when he sees us. He knows so, way more people from Africa than I ever than I ever would. He knows so much about himself and he sees himself as normal. He just sees himself as a kid that has full history, has full humanity, and he has not experienced what I've seen my son experience, who is only 10 years old and has already experienced someone trying to treat him in a certain way because he is black. I didn't have that experience at that school, and nor does my brother now. And I just I'm struggling more and more to see how it's going to be possible for us to get to some form of liberation without our schools being disproportionately like that. Ooh. So my my question to you, Doctor Dugan, mm-hmm. and you can you can leave the screen on Doctor Dugan. Uh, if you think that you're, if you're having this problem and you're Doctor Dugan with your ten year old son, what the hell you think normal society is going through right now without the 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 agency to be able to to uh to 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 fight these systems the way that you're able to do it. I mean, this is the black experience, is it not? Like, like this has been our experience from the dawn, and this is this is brown people's experience. This is students with an IEP's experience. As a student who's coming here and learning another language, we have a very tight box, and you have to fit in that box. And it tends to be upper middle class and white. That is the box. Like, it is so strange to me that a kid could be learning another language here. And for some reason, that's a deficit. That's so weird to me. Like, literally you know, across the language? world. Oh, that's, you got a problem. <laughs> like, everyone learns multiple languages, but you come here and you learn another language. All of a sudden, there's a problem with you. That is so strange. And then when I think about Black children, I mean, the the the, the sad and hard truth, and, I, and I, I think this is where Shane and I are trying to come from with this book, there is no system, there is no practice that is set up for a black child to succeed at a baseline, if we're talking about a general institution. So when I think about kids that I grew up with, kids right outside, I live in a black neighborhood still. When I think about kids outside, we, it's like pure pain, unless you get a bright spot. Like we, I mean, Bettina Love calls it spirit murdering. We are watching black kids be spirit murdered over and over. And even this is the thing that's even harder for me, Mr. Ankrum, is that here I am with a doctorate in education and I did my dissertation on parent and teacher interactions. I actually know a lot about that. And even for me, my hands are tied. I I barely can make movement with my son and I know all the right things to say. So I think, again, that makes me say we have to have our own spaces and places because 
don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's an argument right now, though. I mean, it's it's like half of our thinkers and our half of our educated and thinker thinking people are wavering between that option and whether we should continue integrating and a good, a a, a good portion of our, I mean, like, listen, we're saying all this right now. We're saying all this right now. And I can, I can name five people right now that you all know that all have have the talented 10th credentials and who would, who would tell us credentials, that we're preaching segregation, modern day segregation. And they, these, we are talking about people that, you know, who write books and do speeches and get uh, speaking engagements across the country. And they would tell you everything that we're saying right now is about segregation, right? They wouldn't say that it's about cultural affirmation or about putting our kids in a safe Harbor after being 50 years in out of safe Harbor, uh, 50, 60 years now, like what they would say to you, is uh, basically you are preaching. I, I had someone call me a neoplesiast, and I had to like sit around and think, what the hell does that mean? I don't even wait a neoplesiast. What does that? What does that? And then it hit me. Oh, they were talking about Plessy Burgess Ferguson. I was like, you, you corny, like talented tent nonsense. Not what? What? Chris, but Chris, can I be happy? Where are there's where are the neoplesiasts? Chris, where do they put their kids in schools? Like, so some of them don't have kids in school. Some of them do. They really do believe that integration is the way to go. They really don't believe black nationalism as a thing. You you bring up schools like LA Oma Day, and they, they I had a Pulitzer Prize winning person tell me to my face that those schools are unicorn and they'll never work. They'll never work. Told me right to my face that we will have integrated schools be- before we have black schools that work for our kids. Straight up told me that. Right. Um, That's what's being celebrated in mainstream America right now from black letters, people with black letters. you don't even know who it is. I didn't say it was a she. I know exactly I didn't who say it was. It was a she. I didn't say. I didn't say it was a she. Don't, don't, don't nobody. You know here. Don't do it. Don't bring in this. No, stuff. I didn't say. I didn't even say who it is. Because you know what? I don't have to say who it is because it's not one person. Mm-hmm. It's not one person who's actually out there saying that everything we're talking about right now is about privatizing education and wanting to move our kids out of these systems that are the cornerstone of democracy and the great equalizer and the great bringing us all together and that white kids won't learn without us. We need the white the white kids need us there too. They need our kids so that they could become better. Cause you know, integration is good for the white kids too. And what I, I hear when I hear that all the time is I hear what we're talking about on this show. So our kids are supposed to be the ones that bear the brunt of your, your vision. Like we're supposed to send them to school. They're supposed to get awfulized. We're supposed to send them there and be problematized constantly. And you're going to tell me, Oh, but yeah, but the white kids benefit with them being there. And then they benefit from having white friends and blah, 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 all that. And I'm thinking where, when? How? Tell me. Show me. Show me the success of that as a plan. Uh, because I can, you know, we said earlier in this show today, we said, where are black kids being treated well? I'm going to say something that's going to be a bad take on this. Charles kind of touched on it just a little bit. But some of these fancy places, they're getting it all wrong. There's a lot of places in the South where, where uh, black students are in black and const districts that you never hear about. They're not the cause celebs who are quietly as it's kept getting 
a, a little bit different education that, than you getting in Oakland and in Minneapolis and a lot of places, so Mike, right? Mike talked about it when he was on our show. He talked about learning about his community and the black folks in that neighborhood and all that stuff and learning that history of that place. I mean, but here's, but listen, that and Chris, I don't disagree with you. I think that's a sect of people. I think there's a whole group of black people that don't know none of these people where these conversations not reaching them. They're not getting that latest book. That that's all right. This, all these new terms that we make up every year so somebody new can get paid or whatever. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, uh, it's like, again, I was just with people, yo. And, and, and we just were talking about, like, we were just talking about, like, they were like, what is that? What you talking about? What's the CRT? Mm-hmm. Thing? And I was just like, let me tell you, let, they talking about racism. They talk, like, again, st- part of the tools of these people is to confuse you as much as possible. My belief as a doctor is that you should take complicated things and make it simple. Hey man, there's something you got, you got this stone in your, in your kidney. We got to get it out. This is what we got to do. We can have doctor talk with doctors. You know what I'm saying? Like what is the prescription (laughs) and what needs to happen? Right? So when we talk about this stuff, Go on this, go on the corners of those schools and get you a soapbox and start talking and handing out pamphlets and like, yo, this is what you need to know. Because here's the thing. I'm, I grew up really Baptist, but every corner in North Oakland, man, the Bay family was there, yo. Like them men from the Bay family, them Muslims was right there. Hey, you need to go to school. You need to go here. Hey, brother, do you know your history? Do you know this? Do you know this? And 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 they just made they just kept order in my community in a different way. And they not and it's not the same as it was there anymore. Now that North Oakland looks really, really different. That that I just think that like Jamila, I think what Dr. Dugan, what you wrote, and we went through it to, to prep or whatever, I think is beautiful. And I think it's great. And I also think you are uniquely positioned to also translate that into pamphlets that can be given out at that black church that can be given out at that office that can be given to that parent that's sad and scared and don't have the language. Like, I think we have to, there are so many books and not yours. There are so many books that's talking to white people begging white people to change. <laughs> that's begging white people to change. Oh, like, please change. Please do this. Please be better. Please, please, please. And again, man, I just was with Black Panthers. So they was like, y'all changed our whole language around police. We said off the pigs. It didn't need no update. It didn't need no update. It didn't need no clarification. Now we talking about hands up. Please don't shoot me. Please don't shoot me. And this is the thing, man. I don't come from that type of people. I come from a people that grab these bulls by the horn and make it de- and make it do what it needs to do for their kids. And that's what I want to prepare families to be able to do. Yo, this is when I walked into it. It's so many rules around around um, around meetings, man. Like when you put stuff in writing, they can't just do stuff with your kid. Like you don't have to sign that thing. You know what I'm saying? Like there are questions you can bring whoever you need to bring to the IEP. Right. So I think that we have to do more courses and more things for people in our community that just give them the tools they need. They need the bear killing type of tools, man. That that's, that's, that's just what I believe. And I think these other things are helpful and needed too. I don't want to, I don't want to down what nobody else is doing, but if your shit ain't making it directly to that mama, man, that's crying at the kitchen table, then what are we doing? Malcolm said, make it plain, bro. Make it plain. 
Like, you know, uncomplicated things. Racism. You know? You're talking about racism. I don't know. Uh, anti-racism, CRT. It's a, I know the shit because I read it. I went to school, read all the books. I, I underlined the shit. I got it highlighted. I know all of you it. You're out there in these streets annotating, Cole. <laughs> you annotating. Look all at you. Day, all day, bro. All day. I do nothing but annotate, right? But I, but I annotate. And like, how can I make this plain for people when I'm sitting down at the barbecue, bro? Like, I try it out. I try it out. And sometimes shit... Yeah. I sometimes it don't work, but when I get it and I see people getting it, I bring it to this show. All right, cool. You know, Miss Johnson was rocking with that. Let me say that on the show. You know what I'm saying? That that that's just the piece. We gotta put some power back into the hands of the people. And but see, systems. Dr. Cole, I would say so. This is where it gets complicated, right? Especially when you bring up the barbecue and when I'm talking to my family, this idea of making it plain. Mm -hmm. I think we're living in a both and world, right? So you asked about like ideally where we would be, and that would be lots of black schools where children are thriving. And that's not where we are right now, Mm -hmm. right? So when I'm talking to my family or my auntie uh, at a barbecue, um, cause I, I do try these things on, I'm the, I'm the doctor in the family. So we have to have these conversations, right? Mm. Um, I don't get to use all this jargon when I'm talking, I don't need to use all this, uh, all this jargon. We need to get rid of it overall. But when I'm talking, we're not, there's not necessarily a consistent belief that we need black schools, first of all. And so I think that if we are, if we're in a world where it's a both and right now, where we want to have some group of people want to have black schools. I would be a part of that group. And we also realize that there's schools that are that are integrated. My children go to an integrated school. Then we have to understand, to your point, Dr. Cole, about the tools that people have in those spaces, because the the, the amount of teachers who are teaching right now happen to be white. Most of them. Right. Mm-hmm. Our children are going to mm-hmm. interact with people who don't look like them often. It just is the way it is. So if that's the case then we have to think about what's needed in that environment to try to help move people. I want to say don't we don't have to ask people to move, but we do. We do. It's the it's the state of things right now. And so we have to figure out, I think, you know, there's half of me, even as I'm thinking about my work in the next few years, there's a part of me that's like, okay, how am I going to start this school over here? And there's a part of me like, shit is on fire right now and there's hella work that needs to be done and this print i'm trying to support this principal and this principal is here trying to do this and this teacher's trying to do this and their work is today and right now and so i think that it's a both and kind of a situation and i think families at least the families that i get to talk to are not in a clear agreement that we need this or that i think they're trying to figure out given my context, what I know, what is going to work for my particular children. And as we continue to spread knowledge and tell the truth about education, I think more families will find it um, appealing to have black schools, but we're still in a world where schools are not designed for black people to think that black people can teach each other. That is just not where we are. So I think it's really, really nuanced. It's a really can, I, nuanced. Can, I, can I respond and ask you a question in return? I would just say, I don't disagree. Two two parts, though. If you led a school, Dr. Dugan, and all your teachers was black women and men, and it was 90 percent white kids and they got treated the way black kids got got treated. Tell me what you think that community's response would be to y'all and if they would be begging y'all to change or meet them anywhere. Right. Two, it doesn't have to happen in an all black school. And I'll get I'll get 
I'll get, you know, on the education stuff, right? A comb wrote about this around the next, there was this group of girls in a, in a, in a, in a, integrated school. They were all from the nation of Islam and they kept getting called oppositional culture. They were under attack every single day, but they, but they had so much stuff from their community, so much stuff from the nation, so much of who they were that even, and they fought every day and they ended up being like the highest performers in that school. So the, the question isn't like, is our only way to save us by creating all black schools tomorrow. We know we can't do that. We ain't got the capital or we ain't got the willing capital. Let me say, I think we got the capital. I don't know if we got the willing capital, but how do you build enough of a bubble around your kids, around your community, around those things to where they are protected. And then they got people to come in, organize to support them. But just that first question is the one I, because I hear what you're saying. I don't, I don't know. I want to say I even disagree with it. Right. But if you, Dr. Dugan, and all your dopeness, all your Afrocentricity, and it was your school that you led, and every teacher was black like you, but it was mostly white kids, and they got treated half as bad as what we've described today. Please tell me how those people would approach y'all. Yeah, but see, this is what I'm saying. I don't really believe black ch- black families approach it any different differently, to be honest. I think black families over and over have said, do not treat my children this way. And yet we are we don't have a mass of power in the same way. I think white families have a whole bunch of power and have unfortunately been in a position where people listen to these people. They're listened to. And so I think for black people, we have to be able to organize I also think at the same time, we have to be able to organize outside of the school building because I don't know, I really don't know how much the schools are going to change unless we have a critical mass of people who are going to be organized in a way that is going to say we're not going to tolerate the people you hire not caring about our children, the people who interact with our children in the building, not them not treating our children appropriately, the people who are outside of the building, I think it's going to have to be at all levels of the school. And we're going to still have to organize outside of that. The YMCAs, we don't have in the same way as we used to. The church in the same way we don't have as we used to. We don't have the same amount of after school programs in the same where the community was wrapped around in a lot of different ways that created another bubble and another, another buffer outside of that school building. But I mean, I want to say to you like that it's, it's as simple as black families being able to organize but I have seen time and time again at school in Philadelphia school board meetings, Philadelphia school board meetings, when a parent comes up to the podium, has a very clear argument, isn't yelling or any of that. And people say, thank you so much, mama, such and such. We appreciate you. You've been here every every board meeting for the last X amount of years and still don't do anything. I think we really have to hold this both. And, and I also at the same time have to say, I feel like. It's just not that simple. I feel like it's nuanced. It's nuanced. <laughs> well, listen, we're going to go uh, into... Go ahead. <laughs> Chris loves nuanced. that word. Yeah. Listen, we're going to go into final thoughts. Uh, Dr. Dugan, you're going to go, uh, you know, next to last. Um, and I'll, I'll prime you because I, w- I would like you to uh, bring something in specific about that um, during your last, uh, you know, last comments. Ankrum, what you got, man? Final comments? on any of this issue, or sometimes you just bring some some other things you want mm-hmm. folks to think about during the week. 
All right, so for, uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with the patrons. I got to kick it with the patrons tonight. Nice uh, for 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 about an hour and and a half, and uh, it was an amazing experience. We got a, a dope group of patrons, um, and uh, man, they listen. We we got to cultivate what we have because they're ready to change the world. We got some heavy hitters in there. We we got we got folks from from all ranges that are at a part of our our, our patron and. Um, that are our patrons, part of our Patreon, and uh, yeah, we we got to get in there more and do do dope things. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm loving the energy, and uh, thank thank you guys for uh for your support to us. That's what's up. That's what's up, Citizen Stewart. Well, I gotta you know how can I follow that without saying I love me the patrons too, <laughs> <laughs> and I love the sisters in our book club uh, doing all that work. Uh, I do want to send a shout out also since we're wrapping up the show uh, to Mama Gwen. Uh, who uh, yes. needs our love and support right now, needs us all to uh, pay attention. Gwen Samuel uh, has lost uh, uh, her second son. Um, um, and it's just, everybody is rallying around her. We're a family here. We're networking a family. So we, we rally around too. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to put that out there. Tonight's show is going to leave me with a lot of questions. I spent most of the day actually today writing something that is uh, based in Audre Lorde's work around biomythography and uh, finding out ways that we can write our own stories in ways that help us get personal meaning and understanding. And I I was writing it um, in terms of education. How can parents actually like tell their own story to themselves and unearth their educational trauma so that they can um, they can create their own story. They can create their own um, uh, kind of system of learning from it. And then they can be better advocates for their children because we have lots of educational trauma uh, going on in the world. And uh, even me doing this exercise that I was doing today actually had me writing through some of mine. Um, And um, I think that adults have to be prepared to do the work. Black adults for sure have to do, have to be prepared to do the work. That's complex. You don't want to interact with these schools. Oftentimes you just don't, there's just stuff about them that makes you sick, that makes your skin crawl after a day of having to deal with people at your normal job all day long. The fact that you would go to one of these schools at night and have to deal with the same type of people at night uh, is not appealing to anybody. You would just rather not have to deal with it. I think in a lot of ways Um, I'm conflicted about all the conversation today just because choice is my one thing right the school choice uh choice in education give me the money let me decide where my kids go to school because i think very smart people are going to keep arguing about what's best what kind of school is best what kind of system we need um i think black people are living in many different contexts from um from the poorest to the wealthiest um have all different kinds of context i don't think they're lacking as much information as people think i don't think they're as downtrodden and don't understand big words as people think i don't think that they're not reading i just think that a lot of people are tired and they're sick of systems and they all often have to move their kids around. They have to move them from school A to school B, right? You put your kids in a suburban school and and you think you're getting out in the suburbs, you're going to get better academics and you end up having to come back to the city to get more cultural affirmation and you get a culturally affirming school and then they're falling behind some of the academic stuff. You want everybody to go to college, but, you know, maybe college not for everybody. So, you know, families, black families don't need one plan. There There are 8 million black children. There's something like 40 million black people. If 40 something uh, million black people can't ensure that 8 million black kids get 
fully educated in the modern world in 2021, our problem isn't racism and it's not the systems. Like I'm starting to come to this now. This is new for me to say it like this. That's just how I feel. I'm tired of all the kind of like the trauma talk, the, the awfulizing, the we ain't got no, there's just no way out. We're not stepping up. We're not doing anything. And, and for about 10, 13 years, I have been working with school boards and people on school boards, uh, people of color who want more of our folks showing up at the right time because the other group is showing up just in time to change policy all the time. Um, so that's my final word on it is I'm, I have a lot to chew on. Everything I just said is not probably stable, you know, because um, I'm going to do a lot of thinking after this tonight. But we're having all the wrong fights and wrong battles with each other. And uh, I think choice is my one way as a parent. Y'all keep arguing. Just give me my choice. Give me the money for my kids and let me figure out what I'm going to do for them. Mm. Man, Dr. Cole. Well, first off, uh, definitely my heart goes out to Gwen. Um, just It just breaks for her. I, I can't imagine losing a child, let alone two. So she's definitely in our prayers. Um, secondly, I really want to thank uh, Dr. Dugan for coming on, man. Uh, this woman is brilliant. And... Uh, and we didn't really get into it, man. But even when we worked together, she was always like putting on for parents, like telling you. Like, if, and if the office wasn't listening, she would make us listen. Like, yo, no, this is what these parents are going through. Uh, she's one of the most avid fighters that I've seen. And I'm just happy for her. And Josh, please don't forget to put her book up so people can see it and grab it. Um, two, man. I mean, three. I just finally, man, I would just say set a goal. Set a, If you a family, set a goal for your family. Set a, set a goal for your child. And then. And then solve for the rest, meaning like, look, this is the school I chose. None of these schools are going to be perfect. But if this school got the reading and the math that you want and they got to get the culture somewhere else and you got to be ready to, 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 to deliver that. Like I didn't get most of my stuff from my school building. I got it from boys club. I got it from mentors. I got it from those streets. And even like right now with the Palestine situation happening, um, I'm reading right now. This is the book I'm reading. Uh, I've, I've already looked at it, but Angela Davis has a has a has a chapter on it. And because I'm looking for ways to talk to the kids around me and the families around me around that and also tie that back to African struggle and try to tie that back to our own people. You know what I mean? And how, how to make these young folks global citizens. That's your real test. Can, can people outside of your work understand what the hell you talking about? Can people outside of your work take what you're saying and make a life better for their kids and for themselves? Like, that's the true litmus test. And right now we have a lot of markets where it's a lot of people talk up here, talking to other people up here. And they have to have the back and forth because that's what creates the market. But if it ain't making its way to the people that need it, man, like that, that's just kind of what I've been focused on. And uh, I'm grateful for this podcast and I'm grateful for the people that listen to it. So um, I hope everybody have a good week, man. And 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 uh, I, and it's, it's a blessing to be with you, brothers. Oh, great. To, great to see you, bro. Hey, um, Dr. Dugan. So in your your final uh, words, we'd love for you to one share. Let folks know where they can find you. Let folks know where they can get your book. Um, and then if you can give a little highlight of the book, particularly around equity tropes and traps. Um, and I'm speaking particularly for school leaders, uh, principals, school leaders, assistant, whoever, whoever looks at themselves as a leader in a school and what are the tropes and traps that they should be avoiding. Uh, but please share um, where they find you. 
Yeah, folks can find me on Twitter. I'm new to Twitter. Um, so I think it's in here at Jamila Dugan. You can find me there. Um, you can find the book um, on Amazon, but I prefer if you would go through Uncle Bobby's um, bookshop.com. Um, it's Street Data Next Generation Model for Equity, Pedagogy, and School Transformation. Um, Shane Safir and Jamila Dugan, forward by um, Christopher Emden, who did a fabulous job. Um, two points and then a piece around the book. So first, I just think it's important to acknowledge all of the leaders um, who are doing the work um, in schools, uh, on school school boards, um, in assistant principal seats, um, and a whole bunch of different seats who are really trying to um, make sure that Black children are um, getting what they need. Same for um, all of the, the Black educators who have come before us um, and are, are continuing to push us in a scholarly way. I think it's important to acknowledge that there is a lot of movement um, and a Black renaissance, I believe, happening in education. Um, I think when it comes down to all this conversation that we're having, the way out um, is to start by centering the voice and the needs of our students. And that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what context you're in. If you're in an integrated school, if you're in an all-Black school, if you're in an all-White school, by looking at students and wonder and thinking about what it is they need. And you can only do that by talking to them specifically. And that's what we talk about in street data. The thing that I notice from working with the school leaders I have um, across my years uh, as a coach is that there are many traps and tropes, landmines everywhere for us to fall into as we're trying to do this work. And so um, I, I wrote about 10 of them, but so much of us have the passion, the urgency. I get very passionate about this issue. But when it comes to when rubber hit, uh, meets the road, we didn't get to talk so much about um, the work that I'm doing right now. But when, when the rubber meets the road, people run to checklists, they run to curriculums, they pick the one black person and hire them to do the job. They pick all of these different things, surface level solutions, consultants, all these different things to try to address this issue of meeting kids where they are. And I consider that to be a trap because the only way, as I was just saying, is to get at a student's level and understand what are they thinking about? What do they dream about? What do they hope? What do they want their lives to be like? What do they want the future to be like? How do they want to be treated? How do they want to design school? All of these, all of these different things are what we need to find out from kids. And every time we try to pull a curriculum off the shelf, every time we think we understand what kids do, but then say, oh no, we as adults, adults know better. Every time we try to take a shortcut to trying to help students, it's, it's, it's fraught. And so I'm hoping that people can see street data as an opportunity to recenter ourselves. We call it an anti-racist approach because we are centering folks who are at the margins. In this case, we're talking about black children. We have to get to our families get to our students and ask them, what is the experience that you want to have in this school building, regardless of the context? And we have to design from there. And any other, pro any, any other approach is ripe for a trap and a trope that we've seen many times before. So I hope you'll go read about that. Um, you can find me on Twitter. And it's been a, a pleasure being with you all this evening. No, it's, it's great to have do, you. Do you feel cared for? Do you feel like do you do you feel like we embraced you we embrace your thoughts we do you feel, like we, do you, 
do I feel cared for? I, I guess I feel cared for, but I'd love to talk to each and every one of you one-on-one more about this. <laughs> more, more of the nuance in these topics that we brought up, brought up here. And Sharif, don't forget about you, brother. No, I, I, first of all, you know, Dr. Dugan, thanks so much for, um, you know, for coming on. Um, and you, you've done so much work. You're doing so much work, um, not only with families, but, you know, uh, I, I think the, the work that you're doing to, prepare principles to be better leaders. You know, a lot of this stuff is around leadership. And so no matter what, some policymaker, think tank, downtown, whatever, if it's the right leadership within the building, um, they can make changes, right? Like they can partner. They're the ones that's uh, that can ask students, how are you experiencing my leadership? They're the ones that can talk to families and say, how, how can I serve you better? How do you experience uh, my presence in your community often, <laughs> you know, not not their own. And so I, I think, you know, we didn't even get a chance to, you know, uh, get into that. But looking forward to, uh, you know, having you back on to dive deeper into uh, the hundred thousand public school principals who could all fit in a football stadium um, at the college level. And if we can't get that right, if we can't get school leadership right, how are we going to get three point whatever million, uh, you know, teachers, classroom teachers mm-hmm. um, on on the same page about like, hey, treat the child like a human being, treat the child like that they have, you know, God given talent and potential aspirations and a brain um, and a future. Right. And so if we, you know, it is just so much work. And so I just really appreciate you. Um, prayers out to Mama Gwen, as as was mentioned. And also want to shout out the National Parents Union who had their uh, yearly symposium uh, this past weekend. Uh, really excited that, you know, parents are uh, organizing. They are, you know, demanding better. They are, you know, uh, on strike in some places, just like, no, nah, my kid is not coming there um, and finding different ways to do it. But as a community, that's part of our responsibility as well to support them as parents, as activists, as advocates, as well as uh, in the educational field. You've been listening to another. Hey, Reef, Reef, your mom got an annual award there, right? That's beautiful. Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mama Toya uh, won Aisha Mekki. Uh, Educational Activist Award. I'm really grateful um, to, you know, Carrie Rodriguez and Tim and the rest of the leadership at the National Parents Union to name an Educational Justice Award after my late mother, um, who was all about educational justice, racial justice and environmental justice. Like those were her three things. She's like, mm-hmm. this is what I'm going to fight. And it, this is what you do. Right? You pick where you're going to fight because the, the, the battles are waging all over the place. Pick where you're going to fight and do damage right there. And I'm really grateful and honored. You know, they they honored us. They honored our family to name an award um, after my mother, a lifelong educator, activist and and Panther. So um, shout out to Mama Toya for being the inaugural recipient of this award. That's and dope. we're just humbled and grateful for for that. Our whole family um, is and loved it. And it's been just being shared around in, in our family. So hey, we're shout, out, shout out the black think tank. This is why he gets suspended. This is why he brings violence and then we have to return violence at the end, you know. So Dr. Dugan, yeah. thanks again. I'm glad you in Philly. Let's Thank wake you. up soon at Uncle Bobby's. Bring your grill. Bring your grill. I will you know, I, I'll find my this I'll find my grill. I'll make sure I have it on next time. I should have yeah. brought it downstairs. Okay. <laughs> You've been, you've been listening to another Eight Black Hands episode with Dr. Jamila Dugan. 
make sure you check her out, get her book, follow her on Twitter. You will not be disappointed. You will actually learn something. Peace. You have been listening to the Eight Black Hands podcast with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecky, and Stewart. If you like what you heard, follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at 8BlackHands1. Thank you for listening.